welcome to the Colts Cover 2 Podcast. This is the First Impressions Edition. I'm Joel A. Erickson. I'm joined, as always, by Nate Atkins. The Colts are 3-2 and two after beating the Tennessee Titans 23-16 to 16, uh, in a... <laughs> In a pretty big win, considering uh, just the fact that they hadn't beaten uh, the Titans since Philip Rivers was here. I don't. I don't think this this Titans team is going to win the division, but I think the symbolism of that is important. I think the way they won is what sticks out to me. They out Titans the Titan. They they beat them up front on defense, and they beat them with a running back going off. Although maybe not the running back that we talked about all week. Yeah, it was. Uh yeah, well, well, we'll certainly get to that other running back, but it was a day where it feel like, feels like they just took the script that they've been beaten with for my entire time on this beat, and they just sort of shoved it down the Titans' throat. So, like you mentioned, the run game, uh, 193 yards, and it was mostly Zach Moss, of course. They had, uh, you know, what always felt like against the Titans also is that because they could run the ball that well and because they could suffocate on defense and short yardage and whatnot – their quarterbacks were never in risky positions. And so that's kind of where the Colts were with two different quarterbacks playing today. Anthony Rich and Garner Minshew both finished, you know, combined for 20 of 26, uh, one sack and no turnovers. Like it wasn't, there weren't that many plays from those guys that you thought were just, you know, these incredible highlights that like carried the day, but they didn't need to. And they kind of put the pressure back on the Titans to have to answer this, answer them all the time. They got to lead for most of the game. So it was like, this was such a sort of moment to, to exercise some demons within the division, even though, like you said, the Titans are not exactly the tight. They're not the peak version of themselves from a couple of years ago, but that's important symbolism, I think, because at least for right now, as the Colts are tied for first place in the AFC South, to them in this moment, it kind of feels like with a new coach, new quarterback, kind of new way to be, but a lot of the same players who went through that losing streak, it's a little bit of a changing of the guard. Yeah, um, there's the the other key I think to get to, and I don't, this doesn't fit neatly into the categories, although I think it might it'll come back up again. Um, just off the top, with the, the Colts at this point, um, my understanding is that the Colts believe that Anthony Richardson is dealing with a sprained AC joint. Um, there were going to be more uh, um, tests done tonight, trying to figure out exactly what the severity of that was. Sprained AC joint, to my knowledge, to my understanding, has a wide range of outcomes. Um, but obviously, I think it's it's this is I think this is hard hard to it, it's hard for me to weigh. It's a hard thing to hold in in concert because, like, obviously he has started four games in the NFL and failed to finish three of them. And I think um, at this point, this injury, you're kind of getting to the spot where I'm. It's for me. It's less of a. Before this, it was like, well, one of them he probably would have stayed in. Um, the first one he probably would have stayed in. The second one's a concussion. Um, it can, so it was that first one. It almost felt like it, like it wasn't a real injury. It's like I've been thinking of it as like one in three games up until now, one real injury. And but this one now, like, he keeps taking these hits. And I, the, the interesting thing is I, I, I felt like he'd been trying not to. He slid on his first run today. Um, I felt like last week against the Rams, I felt like there were several times he tried to avoid taking a hit. He, he didn't today uh, on the second one. But it, it just felt to me like, I don't know, it just, it just felt like he was trying to. And, and maybe this is the, the inevitability of it is he's going to take some hits. Yeah, that's the thing is that he was asked uh, probably about a week and a half ago about his playing style and whether that needs to change, and uh, and he said no. Outside of you know sliding when he needs to slide and stepping out of bounds, he felt like his playing style works in the body that he has, and that he you know the injury so far didn't didn't argue otherwise. And he had a point then when he said you know I you know, he smacked his knee on turf and it was sore, and then you know it was just kind of a a weird play in the end zone against the Texans that, you know, that he could have finished. So he felt like that was preventable within his playing style. The one today that was a very just normal play, just sort of a sort of like a QB power to the outside where he got sort of bodied up on two different Titans and guy landing on his shoulder. And 
it is like Michael Pittman laid this out a few weeks ago where it's like he doesn't take that many hits. It's not like you get to the end of the game and you're like, man, they just hit him and hit him and hit him and hit him, which is what it's like watching Matthew Stafford play. But what the hits he does take are just – they're just big shots. And it's interesting because you know, you would think a quarterback who's 255 pounds that – you know, if you don't hit him that many like, that many times, that it would be more like he's delivering the blows. But it's just the way it's gone so far has been really unfortunate for him, and it puts him in a tough spot for you know, when he does come back. Is you're weighing all this about how much do you tap into that upside that you know that four four three speed and explosiveness, the stuff he ripped up the combine with, and give him that floor as a rookie while the passing is developing versus making sure that he can stay on the field. Because today, the Colts' offensive line only allowed two quarterback hits and one sack. So they had the system in the dropback game to protect whoever was playing quarterback, but they're going to design some runs for him. And so it's like if he's going to run seven times a game, you know that's seven plays that you feel are, you know, are going to be a little risky. So it just feels like it's a conversation that will never go away because, unfortunately, it's kind of always – sort of hovered around him it's such an elite athlete such a great runner but high school college now early in the nfl he's unfortunately had to battle a little bit of the stigma yeah shane steichen's um kind of addressed this in his post-game press conference i thought he, he he said he said it flat out he's like you don't want to take away some of what makes him great and some of what makes him great is the running i mean you, we've seen especially i thought against the texans and the rams um kind of the upside there the explosive plays that you're going to get with him in the running game and I know the instinct immediately is to be like well just don't let him ever run um I don't know that that's <laughs> you don't want him hurt ultimately but at the same time like they did draft him in part because of that like Steichen has flat out said it a couple of times they, they drafted him in part because of what he can do with his legs and uh, it's 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 just it's just hard for me to figure out right now if it's if this is something where we should just expect this over and over again or if this is going to be um sort of a a, a bump or a confusing like start to his career that doesn't necessarily make sense later on i i don't know i i really don't i at the moment i'm just trying to cover it day by day i don't know for sure if it's who knows I get, I totally get Colts fans though feeling that way because obviously, quarterback injuries for them, especially with young promising quarterbacks, are um, somewhat painful to think about. Yeah, there's just risk factors that are just kind of ever present. It's it's what happens to running quarterbacks sometimes. We've de- we've gone into the numbers. Our editor Nat Newell has, and um, you know, and quarterbacks in general play sort of like. Uh, far fewer games over the course of their career when they were running quarterbacks compared to passing quarterbacks. And then something we'll, I'm sure, touch on later is it's like the the surfaces he's playing on don't help either. It's, uh, you know, it, it's... I'm trying to the, steal the from rules my are You're trying to steal from my villain of the game? I'm teasing. We're not it's in the category. Oh, we're not, we're not in the categories yet. I, I, I get what you're saying. But yes. Um. <laughs> I'm going to have to hide stuff from Nate if he's going to take it. Okay, that's true. You can't tell me anything. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's just like this league has rules to protect the quarterbacks when they are passers. When they go and become runners, especially design runners, those rules and protections go away. So it just it does become dicier. Now, it doesn't mean it can't be done because we see, like, Jalen Hurts had this injury last year, uh, but he did play 15 games and he ran a lot. Uh, you know, it was more than 700 yards for the Eagles. Like, there have been guys who – Cam Newton for a long time was able to do it. Now his career was shorter. So that's always like the given, you know, the give and take of it. But it's like they didn't draft this kid to be a drop back passer and just throw from pockets and, you know, and then have that be it. They're going to need to use him as a runner. So that's, this is kind of a little bit of the bind that they're one One in. thing that's lingering for me, though, in the back of my head is just Jim Mersey has mentioned several times both in both before they drafted Richardson and after drafting Rich, after drafting Richardson uh the the idea that you you have to stay on the field the quarterback has to stay on the field and you you don't want guys who are going to be hurt all the time 
And it does make me wonder, like, what's going on in that head right now. That's that's. I think I think to some degree, like the public talk, the public discourse about it, really doesn't matter necessarily. Like if he's going to play, but it does matter if that's something that was on the owner's brain. And I, I don't know. I don't. I mean, I, I'm going to be honest. I don't know if I know what the the logical extension of that is, but it's it's something that's in the back of my brain right now. As he said, he said a couple times, like you want somebody who's going to stay on the field um, and not get hurt. I, it's just something that's 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 I'm gonna tuck away um, and 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 try not to think about until it, it matters. But it is something that's interesting, I think, given given the way Richardson's career has started. Well, and there's just context to everything, and it's painful to bring up. But you know what what this franchise has been through with past quarterbacks. This one they have now is the first one they've drafted in the first round since. The last one that they lost, so it, it has to, it has to be there in some ways. It's it's a it's a fascinating conversation because when they drafted Richardson, they saw him as, you know, the next guy who has potential like Andrew Luck and Peyton Manning and a lot of those comparisons. And that's always going to be here in Indianapolis because of the position he plays and the city that he's in and the way that the owner connects everything to history. Well, that can happen for good nostalgic things, and that can happen also for some of the scars. And so. I don't know where any of that goes, though. It is it is hard to read into because, on one hand, he's been hurt in three out of four games. That's a high, high number right off the bat in the NFL career. On the other hand, though, it is it is such a small sample that it's possible that we get to the end of the year and we find out, you know, he had some kind of weird injuries to start the year, but it all kind of evened out and he ended up staying on the field a lot. It's uh, it just feels like right now something that's that's popping up almost every other week. So it's sort of consuming everybody's minds in the moment, and uh, you know, and, and whatever, <clears throat> it'll be the ongoing story to see when he comes back from the AC uh, joint sprain, in what fashion. Too guys sometimes come back from that, you know, not a hundred percent. They try and play through it a little bit. I think CJ Stroud last year at Ohio or his first year at Ohio State did that, and they Derek Carr's it. doing it right now. Yeah, Derek Carr. Derek Carr's doing it right now. And so. That's also part of the conversation is when do they want him back versus do they want him back at fully 100%. You know, this is just an evolving conversation that the different ways to protect Anthony Richardson because it's going to fall on a lot of people. It's going to fall on him and the way that he plays and the way he takes care of himself. It's going to fall on the play calling and the situations they put him in, the personnel, the blockers, and the skilled players who can help him out. And then kind of the heads of the organization to set their franchise up in some different ways that we'll get into as far as making it a place that's safe and sustainable for them. And it's just, it is such a big conversation because everything is still hitched to this guy wearing number five playing quarterback for the Colts. And when he was out there early in the game and, you know, they, <coughs> and they're playing pretty well on offense, it's the most exciting thing in the world. When he goes out and even as the Colts are, you know, driving and taking the lead, it's hard to get your mind fully on the game because in the backdrop, everything is about sort of the, the long term of Anthony Richardson. We'll have more to say on Richardson once we have a better diagnosis and hear what the Colts are, are thinking later in the week. Uh, we'll get into the categories, though. This is the First Impressions podcast. The Colts win. Hero of the game for you. Gonna go, have to go with Zach Moss again. Um, he's the one who, you know, big storyline is a running back coming out here today in front of the crowd. And um, big news of the whole weekend was a running back signing a big deal. But it was the guy in his place that had the big day. Zach Moss had 23 carries for 165 yards, two touchdowns, ran away from the defense for a 56-yard touchdown that admittedly was incredibly well blocked. But, you know, he is just sort of – answered the bell here and for a while there it was sort of like grinding some things out today was a day for him to be that explosive player and had 7.2 yards of carry and you know there's a moment where he got to the edge I just I thought he was fresher than I remember seeing and I don't know if that's a mix of you know getting that much farther away from the forearm injury also getting a little bit away from uh you know those 30 carries in Baltimore getting rolled up on now he's splitting practice reps uh with Jonathan Taylor and, you know, he was at 23 carries rather than 30 and was able to still sort of sort of pile it up. So uh, Zach Moss, he's key in this whole thing because 
as they ease Jonathan Taylor back in, this is supposed to be a process. And so Zach Moss is not going away. I still think he's going to have a role in you know, short yardage and pass pro. But today showed you that, like, if if you replace what Zach Moss did with, you know, a, a very subpar rushing performance like they have had, you know, early in the season, today is a much harder day to, to make this happen with an Anthony Richardson injury, with Jonathan Taylor uh, being very limited. Uh, this – they needed offense today in some form without their with their two stars in the backfield kind of compromised and, and Zach Moss really filled in. Here of the game for me is Zaire Franklin. Um twelve tackles again today. Uh he got help from DeForest Buckner on the uh the big fourth down stop of, of Derrick Henry, but he made the stop of, of Derrick Henry. It, he's having an incredible season i think his mentality maybe more than anybody else's sort of embodies what these colts have been through the first five games for me um just just keeps pushing keeps doing stuff like keep he's just always in it he's always fighting um and and just making a just an enormous amount of tackles just a ton of tackles uh for this defense zaire franklin has been so good this season he's going to come back up again when i get to my number but um, all right, for me, Zaire Franklin, hero of the day. I, you know, the defensive line obviously deserves a lot of credit for this too. But you know, just adding to it, you know, Derrick Henry, thirteen carries for forty-three yards, just three point three a carry. That seven of his other fourteen games against the Colts, he's gone over a hundred. Um, this this front seven has been really good through the first five games, and Zaire's a big part of that. So Zaire Franklin, hero of the game for me. Villain of the game for me, I'm going to go first on this one so you can't steal it, uh, Lucas Oil Stadium turf. And I, it's hard to know exactly. Um, they are replacing it. I want to say that up front. I know they're replacing it. I realize they didn't put in a, a system to drain water uh, if they had grass. Um, but the, the, the turf numbers at this point, like the turf thing doesn't seem to me to be that big of an argument at this point anymore. Um I think the thing that like solidified everything in my brain was the Premier League is all using the same blend because it's better for players' legs. It's the one that they use in Lambeau. Um, the Packers use in Lambeau um, of of mostly real grass with a little bit of synthetic. Uh, and and you know Moelle Cox gets a concussion today. His head snaps back against the turf. Um, it's hard to know with some of the leg injuries. I, I just know the players don't like it. Um, it's it seems like a good villain to pick just on a day with a lot of injuries without knowing like whether or not but didn't Anthony Richardson say at one point like it hurts to fall on like yeah he said it's like slamming your knee on a hard surface and he his words were everyone gets hurt on turf yeah so there Lucas Oil Stadium turf villain of the day for me yeah I'm sorry for stealing that one but it was it was too you didn't point. you didn't steal it that's the best part yeah that's the thing you didn't quite steal it you just you just just, just Rolled it out a little bit before it was ready. Teased it a little bit. Um, you opened the oven before the pizza was done. Yeah, because I was a little jealous of it, so I had to. <laughs> I had to at least like get out there that oh, I was. I am definitely not telling Nate my. Uh, I'm definitely not telling Nate any of my categories. Good. I like the, I like the surprise element of this whole thing. Um, I'm going to kind of do an offshoot of that and just say uh, fate because um, a lot of guys in the locker room. Fate. Fate. Yes. <laughs> A lot of guys in the locker room. This podcast just took a turn. <laughs> <laughs> we were actually talking more about Jonathan Taylor's contract. I heard this come up multiple times, but guys talking about how in football there's a 100% rate of injury. And all these guys are out here thinking, when is it going to happen to me? Not if or if it does or how. You know, what like it, It's kind of like, when is it going to happen? It's like It's a game that we love so much. It's my favorite sport and always will be. But there's like there are costs that come with watching this. There are things that just happen to players, and we're seeing it. It's kind of what's devalued the running back market. It's what got everything in this spot with Jonathan Taylor in the first place. And it's now, you know, it's ironic that so much of the conversation was about, you know, do you sign Jonathan Taylor to a big deal? Do you, you know, do you risk that? Do you pump money into someone who could come back and, and will he stay healthy? And his first game back, it's the quarterback who gets hurt. And these two guys just are not lining lining it up yet where we're through five games and these two absolutely electric players in the backfield have shared one snap together unfortunately uh because 
Anthony, you know, his other injuries prior to this, you could point to turf being a bit re- big reason for it or, you know, him not finishing that run in Houston. But today was a pretty normal run that you're going to see in a lot of football games. And a guy lands on his shoulder, and that's it's just going to happen sometimes. So um, it's just disappointing that, you know, we, we, we love the game for the big hits, the vicious moments, the things that Zaire Franklin can do to people. It's so fun to watch. But there's sometimes a cost to that when it's your player, the player we're you know that we're covering and close to, who is kind of on the other end of those hits, and uh, and it's it could be a little tough to watch. It was tough to watch him kind of limp off the field and have his arm dangling down by the side, and um, you just feel a little bit for players like that. But by choosing fate, the entity as your villain, are you afraid you're now tempting fate? Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I you speak ill of the villain, and we're doing it publicly. Like, yeah, uh, it, it's always a risk with this podcast, but especially when it's like a supernatural villain, it's like you're just asking for it. Yeah, Nate took it to a different level. Uh, unsung, unsung hero of the game. Who's your unsung hero of the game? I'm gonna go with Josh Downs. Um, That's a good one. Josh yeah. Downs had six targets and caught all six of them for 97 yards. And I just thought what was so impressive about him is just how seamlessly he operates with either quarterback and like this is a hard thing to in the NFL to prepare a game plan around one quarterback who gets all the first team reps and then you lose that guy halfway in a game and the new one steps up when when you have young players in those moments it usually doesn't produce at super high efficient rates it's been a trouble with this franchise the last couple years is the changing quarterbacks and trying to you know build chemistry with them Josh Downs has found a way to do it with both and I thought Shane Steichen laid out a pretty good answer of how he's found his own ways to connect with Anthony Richardson and Gardner Minshew in completely different fashions. You know, he's he's got the kind of the the run after catch for the ways that Gardner can place the ball on the move. We saw that on a crosser, you know, but he's also got this sort of chemistry building with Anthony Richardson that's a little bit more down the field that we saw on that deep flag route for 38 yards. And Josh Downs is just he's he's just found a way to do this kind of everywhere so far in his life it's still early in his NFL career but you know he was a star high school player that was at North Carolina with Sam Howell for one year thousand yard receiver next year Drake May comes in thousand yard receiver and now he's been playing with a rotation of uh Anthony Richardson and Gardner Minshew and without him I just I don't know that they would have had a steadiness to the passing game when they had to switch quarterbacks in the middle of a game. And so uh, I think he was a, a big factor. Unsung hero for me, I'm going to split it. Unsung heroes. Um, mm. DeForest Buckner, stat line, six tackles, one quarterback hit. I felt like especially on the last drive when the Titans were trying to um, – go, were going for a miracle essentially – uh, in trying to come back and and tie the game, I thought Buckner was the was the force player on a lot of it, but I I, I don't want to just give it to Buck. I mean, obviously, I think Buckner, the the way it looked from the stands, I know it looked like it was just Zaire Franklin on Derrick Henry, but it was definitely DeForest Buckner. He, like DeForest Buckner hit him low, Franklin hit him high, um, and and the shed the block shed for Buckner on that play is really good. Go back and watch it. Like it's a tackle blocking down on him. It's just it's just very exquisite technically and very clean, um, but then the other one is Taekwon Lewis. Taekwon Lewis did not have a tackle credited. You know what he did have? Three quarterback hits and a pass breakup. That is an intense stat line uh, for a defensive yeah. end who was playing a lot of. He played a lot in place of Quiddy Pay today. Uh, and I thought I thought this is a game where the Colts' pass rush probably isn't going to get enough credit for how good it was. They had eight quarterback. They only had one sack. So that's what people always look at. They had eight quarterback hits, including four, I think, in Ryan Tannehill's first ten attempts. Um, and uh, this ties into my unsung villain. But they needed to have that because my unsung villain is the Colts' secondary is still struggling. Um, at at times, you know they. Ryan Tannehill, 264 yards today. He had not been having a great season. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, eight catches for 140 yards. Uh, when when the Titans were kind of coming back into it this this season, it was it was uh, or in this in this game, it was the passing game. It was not Derrick Henry at all. It's the passing game that was hurting them. 
the Colts are going to. It seems like the Colts are gonna have are gonna be dealing with some of these pass coverage issues. The only way for them to make up for that is the defensive line. And Tyquan Lewis, three quarterback hits, pass breakup. It's a big day on a day when they needed it. Yeah, no doubt. And when you when you yeah, extend unsung the, villain, what's that? And I got unsung villain in there. Yeah, when you when you double up like that and you take the whole secondary, it makes it hard for me to find an unsung villain. So that's what you get for teasing my team. Um, yeah, that's true. That's payback. Uh, so I guess I'm just gonna kind of play off that and say uh, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, just so I can say that he had just the game he had. That's that's Nate being un, that's Nate being uh, scared of calling somebody from the Colts a villain. That's what that is. Yes, exactly that. <laughs> I'm very scared to criticize. Uh, so I'm going to go with DeAndre Hopkins, <laughs> uh, who's my way to criticize them a little bit. He had eight catches for 140 yards, and that's really all the Titans had today. They they Their next leading receiver had 35 yards, and then, of course, Derrick Henry didn't get it going. So outside of one Tajay Spears end around, like, DeAndre Hopkins was the guy. And he's a really good receiver, so good along the sidelines. But, like, this is just – where we're at with this cold secondary is that the number one receiver in a passing game, if he is not a primary slot guy like Zay Flowers was, is just probably going to light the Colts up. We saw it in from Calvin Ridley uh, to Puka Nakua uh, to here we are uh, with with DeAndre Hopkins and Tank Dell's the other one I was forgetting about. Like that number one guy, they just are found what find ways on the outside to get him matched up against. Uh, usually the worst of the two Colts corners, or sometimes it just rotates between them, and they're just not able to handle it. They're too like they're just a little too young right now, and working through some things in coverage. You know, like Juju Brents. Um, I still feel pretty good about Juju Brents, but his strength, his, his biggest strength is his physicality. You know, whether it's tackling, he had a great tackle on Derrick Henry. Um, sometimes he can use that to break up passes, but also. He's going to give up some plays. Too. He could have had. He could have had a really nice today today if he picked. If he'd been able to hold on to a pick, that's he true. Right, he was right in perfect. He had one right there. He was right in perfect position, and he could have had a really nice day. Yep, yep. And then of course Jalen Jones. You know he they they got Hopkins matched up on him plenty too. Um, it's interesting. They I didn't really see Daryl Baker out there at all today. No, I don't think so. So, you know, it's just interesting that they've gone from. They had a guy who was full-time starter so the I'm first getting two a weeks. Gunner rep. There you go. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it kind of shows you something though about the secondary that they have a guy, they have one guy who st- was their week one and two starter that they don't want to play when they have injuries and they need to play a seventh round rookie. They also have a guy in Juju Brents who those first two weeks was a healthy scratch. He's now their kind of full go number one guy on the outside. It just shows you kind of how thin they are. And so when they go up against receivers as good as DeAndre Hopkins, even when the pass rush is playing pretty well, even when they're shutting down the run game, in a passing league like this, it's just sort of bankable that as of right now, these top receivers are going to kind of have their way. Do you have a number of the day yet? Or do you need me to give mine? Yeah, I kind of used it earlier, but it's the number is two, which is the number of quarterback hits that the Colts gave up on offensive line. I think the offensive line deserves a shout-out. Uh, because they, I, I really think they were the biggest reason why the Colts won this game when you consider what they were dealing with, with limited Jonathan Taylor, with Anthony Richardson going out, um, with going up against the Titans team that their biggest strength was their defensive front. Um, so that was sort of, if the Titans had owned it there the way that they've owned it in past years, uh, you know, the Colts probably don't win this game. But I thought that the, the Colts line just really – did well in both phases, uh, keeping quarterbacks clean. And obviously the run game with Zach Moss, you know, and 5.7 yards of carry for the day. But it, you know, it was it was interesting because you don't have Bernard Ryman out there. So Blake Freeland's making his second start. That's, you know, that was a little concerning after he had a very tough day last week against the Rams and Aaron Donald. But he, I barely noticed him today, uh, which is good. In the past game, like he wasn't just getting – you know, blown by. And in the run game, I just thought that interior group, now that they got Ryan Kelly back to play between Will Fries and Quentin Nelson, like you saw some of that, that chemistry building, some of it flashed early in the season. Uh, I think that that's, you know, Ryan Kelly seems to be getting back to who he was a couple years ago. Quentin Nelson um, is not having the slower start he had last year. He doesn't have the injuries of a couple years ago. So all of a sudden you have this offensive line. And then of course, Braden Smith being who he is, that's, 
it's playing really, really well this year, and uh, I think today they were a big reason why they won. Number of the day for me is 69. That is how many nice. tackles? Oh, Nate. You couldn't let that go. Yes, I could. I'm, 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 this is Joel's dad disappointed voice. Bad Nate. <laughs> we don't need to pick the low hanging fruit. Okay, okay, okay. 69 tackles for Zaire Franklin through the first five weeks. This is why this is my number of the day. He is averaging very close to 14 tackles per game. Uh, that means that he, there are three more games left in October. If he misses his pace by three tackles a game, he will have 100 tackles by Halloween. 100 tackles by Halloween. That won't even be half the season. Half the season is nine games. That would be eight. I, I don't even think I need to go into it. Like, I did like my joke. I, I did my, like my joke on X Twitter though, where I said that if you're gonna go for Halloween as uh, Zaire Franklin, you have to bring a buddy, and then you just have to just, like you have to tackle them every couple of houses. Just <laughs> you can't go as Zaire Franklin and just get candy. Or we, or alternately, okay, wait, wait. If your kid wants to go as Zaire Franklin, this is what you need to do. If you can tell that the person is a football fan, like if they're wearing Colt stuff, they got a Colts hat or something on, you need to make the case that your kid wearing a 44 jersey gets more candy than other kids because Zaire is racking up so many tackles. <laughs> Instead of taking two from the bowl, he gets three. Yeah, he just beats other people to the Exactly. Candy. Like that's, I think this is fair. Colts fans, if someone comes to your house wearing a Zaire Franklin jersey, they get one extra candy. I think that's the rule. I think it is. And Zaire pushes all the rules but plays perfectly only, within them. Only if, well, no, no, not only if he gets 200 tackles. He's having a great season anyway. So that's, that's the rule, Colts fans. This year at Halloween, if, someone, if a kid shows up wearing a number 44 jersey, they get one extra candy because he's got so many tackles so far. Well, he gave you a great quote in the locker room, too. Uh, yeah, he said one-on-one -on -one with me and Henry. One-on-one uh, -on -one in the hole against the what everybody says is the best running back in the game. What does that make me? If I yeah. win, what does that make me? That's a dude who's feeling I, it. I think the other thing is I think the other thing is just he sets the – like the way he plays is the way this defense is played. And I asked DeForest Buckner about this. He said, yes, he sets the tone for us. Like it's, it is a – He's 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 out there saying like I am not going to bend. I'm not going to kowtow to you. Like like I am here. I'm going to be here. That's that's the the what he's given this defense. So, but the 69 number third that means 31 tackles in the next three games. That seems like a lot. It is not for Zaire Franklin so far. That brings us to the interlude uh, game day observation. My game day observation is uh, I have never. I don't fully understand the roof. Never have. I think I think longtime podcast listeners will know I don't really love the roof. I understand that's an unpopular opinion in Indianapolis, but I don't, I don't, I don't love the roof. I will say this. I don't get exactly how it works, though, because the first two games at home this year was like 80 degrees. Like, like, and I'm not like saying like 85 or 87 or something like that. It was 80. And the roof was closed. I think the high was eighty-one. Like is that to me? That's a nice day. I, I and I will say this: I like it cold. I prefer it cold. Uh, Eighty is a nice day. And then today, when I walked into the stadium, it was fifty and sprinkling, and it was open. I, someone explain this to me. I'm very maybe, maybe Jim Irsay just shares your preference, and he likes when it's colder. So. It was too hot those games. You needed air conditioning. Well, I think I think he tweeted that he he tweeted or X tweeted that because the, on one of those games that because the temperature was over eighty the roof was going to be closed. So that is part of it. But I did not think it was a like particularly. I thought it was a me weather type of day outside, which means it's not an other people type of weather. No. I don't. Know, I guess maybe outside. maybe you and Jim Mercy have the same weather. I, don't like the, I will say this: I don't like the rain part. I don't want the, I don't want cold rain. That's the worst. Yeah, I think that's what they'll look out for. Is uh, cold rain is the worst. No, no rain, no rain. Yeah, it was. It was weird. It's weird. Uh, 
I got down there on the field after the game, and I'm like, man, I have never felt it that cold in Lucas Oil before. And I was like, and then the, the, those of us who were on the field before were like, well, the roof was open. Yeah, and it made more sense because it's weird when you're when you're in the press box. You don't. I like really the have way it looks when the roof is open. Yeah, I really like the way the place looks from the field when the roof is open. I just don't fully understand the me- me- the mechanics of when to open and when to shut. Yeah, it's just a weird new element to this. Like the other teams I've covered, the Bears were an outdoor stadium and the Lions were an indoor stadium, and this is like a hybrid stadium. <laughs> But usually the roof is not open, so it it just works like a dome. But some days it's like they want to be an outdoor stadium. So, um, so here you can't give me the power because then the roof's gonna be open like all the time. That would be fun. I would just I'll just quote unquote forget that I can close the roof. So you don't want it to be me, or just blow the roof off. I think that's more expensive. It probably is. Yeah, that'd be a little hard. That's if they're gonna make adjustments to this stadium, they should replace the turf before they blow the roof off. Might be a little more yeah, that's prudent. Good. That's a that's a good way to bring that back. Okay, yeah. game day observation for you. Um, the game day observation for me is just it was interesting to drive in and just see all the Jonathan Taylor jerseys and to see the people who wearing those jerseys are no longer having to worry about pretty big cheer when he was introduced yeah, too. No longer having to worry about am I wearing a jersey for a guy who's not going to play here? And it was going to be very interesting. We've seen those jerseys since training camp. It's obviously. You know, until Anthony Richardson came, he he's the most interesting player, offensive player they've had. He, he was the star as of just a couple of years ago. And so, you know, what were they going to do if they ended up having to move on from him, especially if it ended in a kind of dark way like it was headed? So very loud cheer for them uh, from them when Jonathan Taylor ran out there. Very loud cheer when he got his first carry. He only got six on the day, but each time he touched the ball, it just seemed like this this happiness that was out there. And that's kind of been the feeling, I think, with this Jonathan Taylor contract as we went on for so, so long debating, do you pay running backs? Do you not? Who's right? Who's wrong? You know, what's the timing? But since this news went down yesterday and they, they reached an agreement with Taylor, I really think there are, I just would be surprised if there's that many people upset. I'm sure there are some fans who are, but especially within this organization, like this was such a weight to, to kind of lift off of uh, this team. And I think, that extended to those those fans who bought a Taylor jersey, loved watching him just a couple years ago, dreamed like everyone else about how he could match up with Anthony Richardson, which they're still waiting to see. But uh, today was just kind of a fun moment for, for everybody. The cheer to me was a good reminder that real life and, and what people say on social media is not the same. It's always hard to do that because the way the NFL works, news is broken on social media, um, and so we're on it a lot. But – and it's it's uh, it's always more venom there, much angrier group um, mm-hmm. on on X Twitter, um, but but you know through this whole thing, I think most people were like, hey, we want JT, um, or can we pay JT? That kind of thing, and I think that that was shown in the cheer. That brings us to uh, my favorite part of every podcast because it is not affected by whether or not the Colts win or lose. Football things I love. Uh, we've, we've started ping-ponging these back and forth. Uh, I know my first one. I got two, like, right off the bat today. Number one football thing that I love, uh, the face masks that DeForest Buckner and Grover Stewart are rocking right now are awesome. Uh, they are big. They are elaborate-looking. They look like something that a gladiator would wear. Uh, when the NFL banned some of these a couple years ago, I thought it sucked. I like big, angry-looking defensive linemen face masks i will allow them on offensive linemen too but i especially like them on defensive linemen and linebackers uh i have helmets from the previous four teams that i covered i have them at home and the one i have from auburn is a like legit defensive line face mask um which i didn't ask for it just happened and that's easily my favorite one um big scary looking face masks are amazing Oh and, yeah, and I, Buck and Grove have probably had this the whole season. I just noticed it today, but yes, make defensive linemen look as terrifying as possible. Like, give them, like, I don't know. You can't put spikes on their shoulder pads because you could hurt someone. But retractable spikes, I'd be fine with that too. Like, <laughs> just whatever makes defensive linemen look as scary as possible. Yeah, it's almost like you you put you add those helmets to the size of the players to the abilities they have, and it's like you dare a team like you want to run at this. And uh, it was interesting, like, they, 
the Titans teams are finally kind of waking up to this a little bit where they're no longer just running up the middle at this team, so they're kind of stretching it out, but that's not the working. Titans have always gone to the perimeter with Derrick yeah. Henry. Always. But yeah. I'm thinking back to like the Ravens really did not want to run at the yeah, that's a good the Colts. So it, it feels like um, teams are starting to get a little bit more scared in general of these two. So you add the face masks and uh, they get a little extra scared. So I like that one. Uh, I don't think my choices are going to be as sharp because I was not as focused on this. But Nate didn't have joy today. Oh, I had joy, uh, but I feel <laughs> like it just was lost in some other things. Like less joyful, less football things. Um, like we'll get to the joy in a moment. But um, one well, thing I like football things that gave me joy. So it has to give me joy. It is. This is this is a very in the weeds thing, but I like the play when Drew Ogletree checked in from the sideline in the middle of a drive, immediately went out to wide receiver, ran a slant, and caught a pass that I believe was 13 yards. Uh, just an innocuous, normal play, normal gain. But um, it's just a – Shane Seconds bringing these little wrinkles every week and trying to use guys in certain different ways. And that was a way to bring in a guy that I, I don't know if many people realize he was a wide receiver forever until – kind of midway through his college career, switched to tight end at the suggestion of Colt scout Chad Henry visiting uh, what at the time was the University of Finley. Now, he's not the only one who suggested it, but he told him, like, hey, we with the Colts are interested in you, but you need to move to tight end. And he was a wide receiver then, and that kind of inspired that position change. But what's always kind of made him a little bit more ready for some of the load of being a young tight end in this league is that he's played wide receiver. So he, he has a little bit more natural – route running and I just thought it was a it was a cool play design too because you're using a guy who's got a lot of size against a smaller corner and it was a belief in Anthony Richardson's ability to like really place the ball at the right spot right in the middle of his chest and it was like they weren't going to be able to guard that so it was just a little thing that that kind of brought that story back for me number two football thing that gave me joy uh Anthony Richardson's option pitch to Isaiah McKenzie which was really far (laughs) it was not a short close one uh like, I just it's it's it harkens back to like older football uh, when people were running the option more. Like I, I if you've ever gone and watched like old videos of some of that, and you've got like a quarterback who's at the hash mark and he's like pitching it to a running back who's out by the sideline. Like the longer the better, as long as they're complete. Just love option pitches like that. Um, growing up, uh, and, and well, and playing high school football, we've still played against a bunch of those attacks, um, and. But so I, I'm very familiar with it. Just love option pitches that go really far. Oh yeah, I, I don't. Anytime you're pitching the ball around is is lots of fun. It does really take it back to older days of football. They, you know, it's it's kind of like the reverse of the, the forward pass era. But you could use use a little bit of throwback sometimes. Um, I'm a little stretched for some of these other football things that bring me joy. But uh, I am going to go with a play where uh, Michael Pittman was interfered with down the left sideline and it was like halfway through before the ball is thrown he's like throwing his arms up like looking at the ref which is just kind of a very Pittman thing like very demonstrative with everybody sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't he was calling for a penalty on a different play and uh they actually called the penalty on him so uh that did not work so much but he's like a guy that like uh he just doesn't do things quietly whether it's uh, the plays he makes or the blocks he makes or the penalties he draws. It's like it very much has this sort of confidence to it. And I think the Colts need some of that. And he's sort of like the a uh, little bit more of the scrappy player on their offense that uh, that I think brings some life. And that was a moment. Number three football thing that gave me joy, the fourth down call to – it was unsuccessful. But I have always loved – probably because I grew up watching a lot of West Coast offense. I have always loved when an t- offense is in third and short or fourth and short or third and goal at the one or something like that, and they line up in a heavy formation and then slip a tight end out. My my long-running joke uh, that my friends would, would have heard me say a bunch is that no one has ever covered that player, not one time in the history <laughs> of the NFL. And that's what should have happened this time. It should have been a touchdown because no one covered Kylan Granson. Uh Gardner Minshew just missed the throw. I know there was a guy in his face, but he missed the throw. You know there's going to be a guy in his face. He was unblocked, I think, on purpose. So you, you just got to make the throw. Um, 
that wasn't a thing that gave me joy, but I love that play. I love it. I love it. I, I'm still not convinced that anyone's ever covered the tight end uh, when you're in a in a one yard situation and everybody's but munched in. I if if it wasn't Kylan Granson and it was like Bernard Ryman instead, <laughs> we will rename football things that gave me joy to things like that time Bernard Ryman caught a touchdown pass. I'm going to let you suggest that to Shane this week <laughs> and see what he tells you. He was a wide receiver. That's true. For That's most true. of his career. Hey, they used Drew Ogletree, former wide receiver, on that slant. So let Ryman do some things. Yeah, I love that play design. Uh, as far as the decision, I was it's just interesting that they ran that with the backup quarterback who is not as effective on the rollout. Uh, so I, wa- I want to see that more. Like I want to see Anthony run that play. I'm sure they'll roll that back out at some point. But it was a fun concept because they, you know, everyone in the stadium thought Jonathan Taylor was getting the ball, and he doesn't, and they instead, you know, do the opposite of what their formation said they were going to do. Um, so that one was fun. I guess my last thing that brought me joy was I actually played from the Titans, but it was Derrick Henry's pass. Oh, no. It just it, you got to give credit. Like it was, it was a gorgeous. It's kind of the same thing you're bringing up. Gorgeous play design that just wasn't quite executed. But it's kind of ironic that that was. The Titans have to generate some things to get a passing game that's not through DeAndre Hopkins. That was one way. No one in the world thinks Derrick Henry's going to throw it. And then he throws it. Uh, the receiver's wide up in the back of the end zone. He just just lofted it just a little bit too high. So, you know, it, it ends up working out for everybody because the play didn't work and the Colts won, so no one's mad about it. But I still enjoyed the design and idea of it. My comment in the press box after that one was, I've watched Walter Payton and you, sir, are no Walter Payton. <laughs> I don't know if that's fair, but I'm going to stick with it. Uh, that brings us back into the football stuff. Uh, too much credit, too little credit. Um, we will start on this one with too much credit. I'm going to go with the Colts as a franchise. <laughs> <laughs> because oh what my. I'm doing here is I'm lumping in ownership with front office. Yeah. Because this weekend they do deserve some credit for getting the deal with Jonathan Taylor done. And it's the deal that we have on this podcast talked about made sense for Jonathan Taylor. Three years, $42 million. It's basically the Nick Chubb contract. They're basically the same kind of player. You know, electric runners who aren't I, you know, the best on third down. And it's a short-term deal and all of that. Uh, they did come around. They said, you know, they said they weren't going to do this in season and then they did um so they deserve certainly some credit for getting to this point but i do think that there are you know as you evaluate the landscape of this deal and kind of who the winners and losers are like i said i think everyone's mostly happy with this there aren't really you know pure losers to this deal but in terms of negotiating and who got you know these battle lines were so clearly drawn back in august you know that moment on the bus walking off the bus jonathan taylor requests a trade Jim Mercy says, you know, we will never trade him. Um, it's all the stuff you guys kind of want to, you know, let water be under the bridge, and that's fine. But I just I think it's worth acknowledging that, like, this was a big win for running backs, big win for Jonathan Taylor, who was terrified about the risk of coming out here and playing without a contract, facing the threat of the franchise tag, and then another year the franchise tag, just looking like he might never sign a multi-year deal. And he had to take it to a nuclear level, and it worked. And so I think he deserves a lot of credit. Again, the Colts deserve credit for finally coming around and, and like bringing it back in, not letting it blow up, not trading away a player that uh, that the team really felt like they could use as they, you know, all of a sudden looked like a team that could push for the playoffs. So they they got it worked out. But I just wouldn't. Uh, I've seen some people out there that are assuming that like this was all just part of the plan that they were always going to just extend him when he came back and he was healthy and. They extend players, and this is just they, – they had this all planned out. This this was not the plan. This was a result of you know, a player getting upset and taking it to a level where, like you've laid out, he either – in every situation like this, the player either gets traded or he gets extended. And in this situation, the player got extended. He got a really nice deal. I think it, it works out for the Colts too, so everybody's happy. But if we're going to give credit on who like really, really won this, I think Jonathan Taylor deserves a little bit more. I'm having trouble with the, the too much credit, too little credit from the game. I don't know if I've seen anything that's like a wildly outlandish take. 
Um, just on the Taylor on the Taylor stuff, I just think it's the deal that we sort of all expected. Like I, I outlined this in my story or in my in my column from Saturday, but um, well, actually, can we, let's let's do this. Too much credit for like a a market setting deal. How about that? Because yeah. Because it is a good deal. It's a good deal. It comes. It checks in just behind Christian McCaffrey and Alvin Kamara. It's a good deal for Jonathan Taylor. But in terms of it being crippling or crazy or something like that, Nick Chubb signed a three-year, $36 million deal extension on his rookie deal in 2021. At the time, based on – you, all you can do is go based on the salary cap at the time because you don't know what the next year's salary cap is going to be when they sign the deal. Um. But at the time, the average annual value that he signed for was 6.5% of the overall salary cap. Taylor's is 6.2% of the overall salary cap. So, like, really, they just signed an, a Chubb, the Chubb deal with inflation. Yeah. Um, and I remember seeing at the time – I remember – okay, you, you're a Cleveland guy, so you'll remember this better than me. But, like, I think at the time, people thought, oh, the Browns got a good deal there. Oh, yeah. People thought that Nick Chubb gave in. So this this one's different because of how everything went down. But in terms of the deal, like it's it's a pretty reasonable deal. Like it's the Chubb deal sort of is the like we've talked about it in this podcast as the model for maybe what you should do with a running back in this situ- in this situation uh going forward. I, I don't think it was as as like earth shattering or huge a deal as, as people think it is. I think the other piece of this is they're not paying a quarterback, they're not paying a left tackle, uh they're not paying a corner. Um, they're not pay their wide receiver yet. Michael Pittman, I think that one looming. Well, we'll give them that they could be paying a wide receiver soon. Uh, in theory, they could be paying. They could want to extend, say, Quiddy Pay or somebody at the end of the season. Um, so, but but they they just they don't have a lot of massive commitments. Now they will, if if things go well with continue to go well with Bernard Ryman, if things go well with Anthony Richardson, they will. But by the time that they want to do those deals. Jonathan Taylor's deal will essentially be up. So yeah. to me, it the, in terms of the numbers, of the deal, I just don't think it it keeps them from doing anything in the future, and I don't think it's the as as enormous or huge a deal as people thought. It's it's the Nick Chubb deal with adjusted for the raise of the salary cap. I think the one way where you could look at it as a big deal is just relative to what the state of the running back market looks like right now. Um, Running backs have tried to get deals like this, and they're not getting them. Uh, you know, Saquon Barkley, the Josh Giants Jacobs. maybe should. You know, all right. Having, I agree. Having watched Daniel Jones play without Saquon Barkley, <laughs> I agree. I agree. It's a uh, man that doesn't happen very often. That's a drive-by on uh, on the Giants, but oh well. <laughs> no, but it's a good example that, like, I think the thing to remember with all this stuff is that running backs. Their value, there's so much about the value of running backs. I feel like we all just take it to like this mean. Really, it's all situational. Certain running backs matter more or less to certain teams. Two quick examples would be the Eagles did not need Miles Sanders back necessarily. He was a 1,200-yard rusher last year, but they were able to move on because Jalen Hurts is the star of the offense, and they have two great perimeter players. They have a dominant offensive line. They were able to go the committee route. And not lose a lot. And, and Miles Sanders is a good back, but not an elite one. But your your analogy with Saquon Barkley is the opposite of that. Is that that is a truly elite back in an offense that does not have perimeter weapons, that has an offensive line that's a mess. You're in a quarterback who kind of thrived playing off of that running back as a dual threat quarterback. So without him, they look kind of lost. And so it's like Saquon Barkley may not be as valuable to the Eagles as he would be to the Giants. And it's about teams realizing what they have and what they need. And that's what I think the Colts ended up doing, is they realized they're closer than they thought they would be coming into the year. They're a team that needs an explosive playmaker on offense, don't have many. They have one they can sign. And that player also happens to be a guy who can kind of elevate in the backfield this rookie quarterback that they're seeing good things out of, but they're trying to protect and try to take to the next level. So for the Colts, I think – the deal made a lot of sense. I always thought it, it would, but I think they came around a little bit. Seeing Anthony out there for four games, I have a feeling that that helped sway them in the direction of, like, this is actually a pretty good time to make a deal like this. Too little credit. Too little credit. I'm going to go with the Colts passing offense today. Um, 
you 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 hit on Josh Downs, but overall, 253 yards for the Colts in 26 attempts, very near a uh, 10 yards per attempt game. Great, which that's that's the opposite of what we've been talking about on here. Um, that's an incredible number. Uh, lots of stuff down the field. Good stuff in the screen game, both with or in the running back game, both both to Zach Moss and Jonathan Taylor. Um, some some good stuff down the field with Mo Ali Cox, uh, Josh Downs getting vertical. I think they saw something with the Titans. I tried to ask Josh Downs about this, but he didn't want to tell me. I, they play the Titans again later. Plus, Shane Second doesn't like them to tell us anything. But um, uh, the the passing game was was good with both quarterbacks. With both quarterbacks, it was good. It was pushing the ball down the field. It was a very very good explosive complement to what Zach Moss did. Now Zach Moss has the big individual numbers. But I think the passing game deserved a little more credit than it's getting. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, they weren't they weren't problematic for any you know by any measure. They, they there have been other games where it felt like they couldn't move it through the air. But two receivers with fifty plus yards. I mean that's that's going to get it. It's going to get it done on a day like this. Um, I'm going to go for too little credit. I guess I'm going to go with uh, just because just as a, we haven't given him a shout out yet is Julian Blackman. Uh, he has too little credit because we've gone this long and not talked about his game ceiling pick, but that was a big play at a big moment. Obviously, I mean, Titans had to go the whole length of the field, but as we've talked about this team, their biggest struggle is coverage. And there are moments like that where, you know, the Rams a week ago went the full length of the field in overtime, got the ball in the end zone on a very, you know, kind of botched coverage play. And, you know, we've been talking a lot about these cornerbacks, and, and they're in a spot this year where they're just going to have to try and help these guys out as best they can. I think that's going to fall a lot on the safeties, where if you go back in you know, the early days of the Gus Bradley Seattle defense, you know, superstars like Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor, that's what really made that, I think in a lot of ways, made that style work is that those two guys could play split safety and dominate. This year, like, we're looking to see, I'm just looking to see a little bit more impact out of the Colts' safeties and Julian brought it today in the moment when they had to have it, you know, pick to seal the game, and, uh, and it matters. It just mattered to close out a game like this where we talked about the streaks that were on the line, seven straight home losses, five straight losses to the Titans. Could have been a very, you know, negative day if he doesn't make that play with, you know, if you were to lose Anthony Richardson and then, you know, not win the game. Um, granted, it would have gone overtime, so who knows, but Julian deserves a little bit of credit for that. Now the finishers, one to throw away and one to go on. We always start with one to throw away um, because that just makes sense the way the two the two categories are named. One to throw away from today. Something that people are going to be talking about that is not going to end up mattering down the line. Uh, I guess I would – I don't know if I've seen it a lot, but if there are people kind of think that, like, Zach Moss is going to be – either equal to Jonathan Taylor in the workload or a heavy workload guy. I don't think that's going to be the plan. Jim Mercer yesterday on a teleconference laid out how, you know, they're bringing Jonathan Taylor back in the fold, but he said it was going to take three to four weeks to build him up to really game shape. And that matters. Like Jonathan Taylor's laid out how he had more than 290 days off of any kind of football practice. He's been running a little bit. He's been healthy for a bit, but getting out there and taking hits and, that physical wear and tear is new to him. And so that's why he only had six carries. And he, he said today that it felt just was a little surprising. That first hit from a defensive tackle kind of brought him back to um, what this is like again. So they were planning to, to build this up. Jonathan Taylor, like all the reasons they just signed him for are going to be the reasons he ends up playing a lot. I mean, give Zach Moss a ton of credit. He played really well today. I think he's an important piece for this team going forward where he will have a role, short yardage, pass pro, giving Taylor some some rest. And then obviously if, if anything happens to Taylor, you have a good back there um, to, to plug and play. But this is eventually going to be Jonathan Taylor's show in the backfield because he's the guy who can, can who can actually consistently rip off long runs when there isn't just elite blocking. We didn't see it yet today because he's just getting back and, and didn't get the ball much, but I think we'll see it eventually. One to throw away for me is that going for four on fourth down is bad. But the way the way fourth downs are often looked at is if they don't get it, uh, you should have taken the points. If you do get it, uh, good job. 
Oh yeah, that's just uh, my my revisionist. This uh, the the thing about this is that you can reasonably disagree with me. Um, the numbers the numbers tend to back me up, but my my belief is that you if you have a chance to step on your opponent's throat, you go for it. And I think I thought going into half that seventeen to six was a much much bigger um, thing for the Titans to deal with than thirteen to six or ten to six would have been. That's that's my take on it. I think going for it on fourth down is good. Um, especially on fourth and very, very short. Um, again, this in, in terms of one to throw away, this is a, a more arguable one than I usually go with, but I'm going to stick to my guns. I prefer you to go for the opponent's throat. So then would you have preferred they go for the one on their final drive? Uh, the final drive... So this is an interesting one because analytically numbers wise it they, they would have said it, the numbers would have said go for it because if you if you get it you end the game i think if i have richardson there i might have wanted to go for it with Minshew not as much just yeah. because of how little time the titans had the titans didn't have like two minutes if the titans had two minutes i might have said try to end the game yeah and i think i mean either way the titans were going to go down the field to try to score a touchdown. It's just a matter if they tie or go to or win it. But other teams, I would have been more like stomp on their throat. Dude, I don't want to see Patrick Mahomes back out there with the ball. In any also, situation. I don't believe in Ryan Tannehill in yeah. that situation. So that's part of it too. So that in that moment, so I, to me, these are all situational. In general, I am a go for it guy. In that moment, I understood not going for it. I also personally would have taken the points at the end of the first half, just because in that specific situation, I think. The benefit to not getting it, or the the silver lining to not getting it, is you pin them back. You don't get to take advantage of that at the end of a half. But in general, I'm with you. It's uh, go for it because seven points over three. That's a huge, huge difference. That leaves us with one to go on to take from this game that that we're going to be dealing with the rest of the season. I'll let you go first. <laughs> um, I think this. I think this Colts team is going to be in the mix. I don't know what that means exactly. I don't have a, a win prediction for you. But it's it. this is not a schedule full of heavy hitters. There's a lot of opportunities for games like this. Um, they're not playing a ton of quarterbacks that are uh, going to light up, like going to be able to light up the secondary and just take over a game. I, I'm starting to come around. I feel like they're going to... This may be my riskiest one to go on, but like I think they're going to be in the mix. What that means for wins and losses, I don't know. What that means for playoff berth, I don't know. But I feel like I don't feel like – well, I mean, five games into it, they've been in and had a chance to win every game they've played so far, um, despite playing Trevor Lawrence and Lamar Jackson and Matthew Stafford. Um I just think that this is going to be the kind of season that we're like they they've got a chance. I, I don't know if they I don't know if that they make it count. Who knows with Anthony Richardson's injury what happens? But this is a team that just has been in a lot of games. Like they they've been in the, they've been in the mix. I think they're going to continue to be. Yeah, I agree with that because you know we talked a lot about their Achilles' heel being the secondary, and it is problematic. But it's just one weakness, you know, and they they can they're showing right now they can play around it to at least be in all these games and. They may not win all of them. You know, the secondary didn't hold up against Matthew Stafford, but a lot of teams they can beat. They can beat a lot of these passing games when they're not, you know, not as sharp. The schedule is lined up that way, and I just think that, like, you know, now we're like we haven't even gotten to see them with Jonathan Taylor out there in in his full form. So they're going to add an All Pro player to this team we've watched so far go three and two. I think the only caveat to it is is an obvious one, which is the health of Anthony Richardson. I think he's going to be central to that because. Gardner Minshew's a good backup. He stepped in. When he steps in in a moment like this, this is what he's built for is to kind of settle things within the game. Um, being hit, being a starter long-term, I think, is a different, very different deal for anyone playing quarterback. So as long as Anthony Richardson, and that's you know it goes back to the conversation we started with, if they can find a way to um, keep him on the field for most of this season, then for me it's hard to see the way he's playing the potential they're going to add Jonathan Taylor, the way the offensive line's playing, the way that Shane Steichen's scheming around that, and then some of the horses they have on the front seven on defense. Like, they have enough to at least be in the mix to go to the playoffs. So I agree. 
That leaves you with one to go on. All right. My one to go on is just that I, I think we're going to kind of, at least I'm going to step away from these games in a day like this especially and just feel Nate's getting existential a little again. bit honored. I am getting existential. Um, I felt this driving in. You drive by the poster with Jonathan Taylor on the wall and the Jonathan Taylor jerseys walking in and you see him run out through the tunnel and you realize like like Jonathan Taylor talking after the game about how uh, – you know, he just looked like he didn't think this moment would arrive, and it's it's hard to think that it would have. If he talked back after, you know, when they got out off the bus, we talked to Jim Mercy that day off the bus, and we saw, you know, the kind of frowning, upset Jonathan Taylor, the the tweets that went back and forth, and here we are, and things come together, and he's back, and he's celebrated, and just sort of the the moment in itself, where you realize, like at the end of the day, with all that animosity and, and the feelings that ran hot with fans on who was right and who was wrong. Like, at the end of the day, this is a game that, that brings a lot of people joy. It did when he ran out of the tunnel. It did when the Colts uh, stealed the victory. And so I just think you sometimes have to step back and realize, like, this is just a very cool game that we get to be a part of, um, that we get to, in whatever role we are, we get to write about it. We get to call this a job, um, which is really cool. And then after a game like this, we get to do a podcast like this where we, uh, you know, we get to – Cover Two Podcast kind of becomes our way to decompress and, and work through all these things. So um, that's sort of my one to go on. I just feel like, uh, like, let's just be real for a moment. If I die tonight and you're out of the industry in two years, no one's going to miss us. Cover Two will roll on. <laughs> it's a privilege to be a part of this. So uh, <laughs> that is my one to go on. This has been the First Impressions Colts Cover 2 Podcast. I'm Joel Erickson. This is Nate Atkins. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't have anything else beyond that. <laughs>